welcome to episode 145 of the Daniel Yoris podcast with today's guest, Phil Dominguez. Let's go. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Joined here today by my man, Phil. Phil, what's up, baby? Good to see you. How you doing, bud? This is awesome to be on. One of the first ones I get to be on. So I'm really excited about this. Uh, We've been chit-chatting about it for a while, man. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, man. We've known each other for a bit. We finally got to meet in person at uh, Andrew Coates Evolve Strength Conference, which was which was awesome. Um, you know, just a, just a good place with a lot of good people, and just getting to put faces to names. Like we interact online and all that stuff, but we actually get to you know see each other, shake hands, hang out. It's it's really cool. Absolutely, that was such a great event, man. I mean, we. I mean, obviously, when you go to those things, you're supposed to network, and that's what we did. I mean, I was able to chit chat with you, chit chat with you know Andy and all these other people that that Andrew was introducing. Man, it was a really fun event. I'm gonna really put that on my calendar to get up there next year. Yeah, absolutely. And that was your first time in Canada. First time? Well, I had been to Calgary like a lot, but literally just to the border of it when I was uh, freshman year, like going to freshman in college or high school. And then I hadn't been back since. So like literally it was my first time that deep in there and get to experience a little bit of your guys cold a little bit. It wasn't, it wasn't snowing yet, but just a little bit of your cold. Yeah. For, for context for any like Canadians, this was early October in Edmonton. So like it wasn't winter, there was no snow, but Phil's also from LA. So anything that's like even remotely cold is like winter. <laughs> anything under 68, I'm freezing. My bones feel it. So. Yeah. And, and in Celsius, it was like, it was probably like around 15 degrees Celsius in Edmonton at that time. So like for Canadians and Edmonton's like real Canada, like where I live in Toronto, like it doesn't get that cold. We get, our winter is nothing compared to winter in Edmonton. Um, but it's uh, funny. Yeah. That's what, uh, uh, Dean Somerset was saying. He's like, Oh yeah, we walk around with masks during the winter time. Cause you actually get frozen down your lungs. I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, it's a thing. I was like, okay. Yeah. It's like you pull your scarf up just over your face. Just as like your, you know, your whole face, especially if you have a beard and it's like a little sweaty or anything, it just freezes. You freeze your whole face. <laughs> oh, geez. I need to experience that once in my life to say that I've done it. So at some point I, I will. I don't know if it's going back up to Canada or maybe even to Green Bay if it gets that cold because I'm a big NFL fan. So we'll see. You you are an NFL shareholder. That is for sure. Green Bay <laughs> Packers shareholder. Yes. yes uh, I, I, it's the biggest joke between my friends. Uh, I'm an owner. I call myself the CEO. All this, you know, any any type of dumb thing that can put you above uh, your friends with the uh, and the NFL level. It's like, yeah, I'm that That's guy. Right. You know, it's, it's right. the dumbest thing, but I love them. No, it's fun. Why? Why are you a Packers fan? Are you Are you from Green Bay? No, no, no. I'm born and raised here in LA, and you know, for the longest time, and um, we didn't have an NFL team here. Uh, the The Rams were here when I was a kid. Uh, the The Raiders were here, but growing up, after they left, I didn't have anybody to root for, and it was literally like the USC Trojans or the Bruins or whatever. But uh, I fell in love with Brett Favre. He wore number four. I wore number four in high school. I played a little quarterback. Uh, and that's where it, it came from. I just kept following them, kept following them. And I just became a Packer fan. It's just one of those things that you just stay with them forever. And I'm like, I'm so loyal to them now. And it's the weirdest things. I don't even like the color green as much, but I'll wear my green with the Packers all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's that, that awkward thing of like, when you don't have your hometown team, you just got to pick a team. Like my NFL team, if anything, is the Carolina Panthers for no oh, wow. reason. Like I'm in Toronto, like we don't have a NFL team, obviously. And so like when I finally, when I first started getting into the NFL, like Cam Newton was the guy just got in, yeah, just got drafted. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, this guy's, <laughs> this guy's unbelievable. I'm just going to yeah. root for the team that he's on. And so, and then he was on the Panthers, of course. And so that just became my team for no other reason. And then once you pick a team, you're just, that's your team, you know, through thick you're and thin, stuck. the Panthers are not. Not great right now, but it's like that's that's the team. It's funny because like if I didn't buy the stupid share from the Packers, I probably would have tried to leak myself back into the Rams fan just because they're here now. Yeah, but like, it's funny because my mom's a Rams fan and she was she's been here ever since she was a kid. And 
the Rams were here when she was a kid. So she remembers all the older players, the Jackie Youngbloods and all these other guys. But now that they're back now, she's like really involved with them now. She, I mean, I hear her screaming and yelling as much as I scream and yell with my team on the, on the, on, on when they're on. So it's, it's pretty fun uh, seeing her uh, just be, be, enjoy the Rams that they're here now, you know? Yeah, no, that's amazing. And, and so you played football in high school as well. I did. I played all four years and then it was even funny. I ended up being a coach um, at, at my high school for about seven years after. So I was there from, I was in school from 2000, 2004. And then from 05 to 2012, I was there as a coach, uh, coaching all, all, all the levels of freshmen. So I did the JVs uh, and the varsity level. And that was your first introduction to coaching of any kind before you kind of went into just fitness the side of things? Absolutely. Uh, fell in love with just being at my school. Just it's a big, you know, we had a big tradition of always kind of winning in the early eighties and nineties and we just kind of struggled going into the two thousands, the mid two thousands. So like my idea was like, try to be there for the kids in the community. Cause a lot of the time that I was there, I was doing it for free. Like I, I didn't get paid for a lot of it. Oh wow. So it was just being there for the kids and being there, you know, let's win, let's bring that tradition and let's be league champs and all this other stuff. Uh, but I really spent a lot of the time in the weight room. That's where my love of fitness kind of really grew. Yeah. We worked out in high school and a lot of that stuff, but it really grew from being in the weight room so often every day with these kids for, you know, seven years. Um, that's, that's, that's where I, the love truly, truly came from. And was that your role? Were you like the strength and conditioning coach or part of the strength and conditioning team? Or were you like a skill coach or how what was no, your actual no. role? So my, my role was actually, um, at first, when it first started, I was a, a, a film scout. I would go to the other schools and watch them on Friday night, record their game and then take it back so we can break it down. Now it's like, you don't even do that. You could send each other links through huddle and just pretty much like, are hey, you recording this now? You send that out and you can break right. down the film that way. Uh, but at that time, you, nice little camera recorder and you're filming there all four quarters to see what the offense was doing. Come back and break that down. So when you're breaking it down, you really get to know positions and players. And then I became a, a position coach. I started coaching linebackers. Uh, then I became a, a defensive back coach. And then it finally slipped over to where I, what I was really good at was coaching the offense because that was kind of like my forte in high school. I did quarterback, running back, wide receiver, a little bit of tight end. And I'm a little itty-bitty guy, but playing <laughs> tight end was cool because you shift there and then you move to another spot, but you line up as the tight end and you need to know his, his responsibilities. And that's where I got lucky because I took the initiative as myself through all four years to learn our playbook. And that learning that playbook helped me my senior year and why – I was able to play the position of the fullback, which is the lead blocker for most offenses um, you know, in football is the lead blocker. And our main guy got hurt. And so they put me as the running back. But the guy that they brought in didn't know how to play the fullback position. You know, didn't take the responsibility of learning, whatever it was, a young kid. So he knew the running back role. So literally in game, we flip-flopped. I'm like, just follow me. And that's how that role came for me. So I learned it. And I was able to learn and teach that to everyone else because I just knew it. It never changed from the four years that I was there. So I, I knew it. You know, you do your tweaks per game for individuals, for teams or whatever. But most of the stuff didn't change. And that's – I just learned it and I know it. And, you know, and it's the basis of, of football is option football. And that's what we ran. We ran a variation of an option football, the Veer offense. Um, a lot of things that you see now is the spread offense. But if you take it back down a couple of notches, it all comes from the Veer offense or or the option offense. Right, and a huge part of that, and I've never played football, and I you know enjoy football as a fan, but I don't know the ins and outs of the of the the tactics of the game. Um, 
a lot of that is just comes down to being prepared, like you said. Like you have to know the playbook inside and out. You have to know each of your players' strengths and weaknesses, what this guy's capable of, what this guy's good at, what this guy's weak spot is, so we don't, you know, run to that side because of whatever reason. Absolutely. And, and you got to know that stuff. And I think the 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 segue into coaching with this stuff is like, or or fitness in general, is just like being prepared for for life rather than having to get ready. Like you can't learn the playbook in the game. You got to know oh, the playbook yeah, yeah. before the game. You got to be fit before like that thing happens in your life that requires you to be fit, right? One of my favorite things is is the structure that that football gives you, and that's preparing you for life. You, you have your three meals a day. You have your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday practice, and your game on Friday. You can hang your hat on that every every week during football season. You can do that. Well, if you take that same template and you put it to something else, you can hang your hat on that, and that you're going to still get the result. You're going to get that game result. So that's one thing that I've really just loved about football is the structure that it gives you because it could prepare you for life on anything. You get a bunch of reps on whatever you're doing, that will transition to something else, which will transition to something else, which will transition to something else. Uh, Very few sports, in my opinion, can give you that structure. A lot of them can, but the very disciplined structure of we're doing this by day, by day, by day to get this end result. And that, to me, translates a lot to fitness. We're going to do this Monday, Tuesday. We're going to do this Wednesday, Thursday. We're going to get this result on Friday or whatever the case is. I think that that's very accurate because a lot of other sports, the schedule is more sporadic. Like I played soccer and hockey. Those were my sports. And like we would have, you know, multiple games a week, some weeks, and sometimes the game would be on Monday, could be on Tuesday, could be on Wednesday, could be Thursday. Like we had a game every week, at least one, but it wasn't always the same. Whereas football is a little bit more dialed. Like the game is on Friday or Sunday or whatever. And then you have your practice. So everything's very regimented, which is actually more realistic to people's lives. I think, and you know, I think you'll agree with me on this one, Phil, like people think their life is so busy and oh, my life is so chaotic and my life is so, but everyone's life is very regimented. You have a lot of things going on, but like your Mondays are more or less the same. Your Tuesdays are more or less the same. Wednesdays are more or less the same. And you can kind of schedule with like a pretty high degree of accuracy what's going to happen or what could happen on those days. And then you fit your fitness into that. And that just has to be part of it. Absolutely. Uh, one, one of the things, again, with football, they teach is delayed gratification. It teaches you. I mean, you're just talking about right now with, with soccer and hockey. You have multi, like you can have a game Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, whichever day of the week. You hang your hat on Friday. That's gonna. You have to wait for that day to come. So you have to go through your practice to get to that day. It's a little different with all these other sports. Basketball, you can play any day of the week. Hockey, any day of the week. Soccer, any day of the week. Football's not like that. And that's delayed gratification is probably one of the bigger things I like about uh, um, that I've taken from football. Anyways, is just learning to love what I'm getting into. And one of the biggest things in the weight room, right? It's like you can't just go go into the weight room and expect that you're going to be big and strong after one day or one week. Like this stuff takes a while, and that can be discouraging for a lot of people. But it's just unfortunately the way the way it works. And so part of what we do is like battling people's need for fast results and fast expectations. Like we can deliver that, and we can point out little things that are happening on a daily basis. But are you going to lose thirty pounds and have a total body transformation in two weeks? Like no, it's just not oh, going to happen. Yeah, absolutely not. What did um. Uh, Miss, uh, gosh, she was at the at the conference. One of the speakers, she, her talk was on principles, and it's our our game. Our game is the long game. Uh, fitness is in a tra- overnight transformation. You know, you, you have to build those little small details to get to the end result, and it's not going to come overnight. It never ever will. Like, does a does a hip hop artist ever come like pop up overnight? No, he's been working on something forever. Same thing with the comedian. He's doing stuff constantly, working on that on his craft to be a big time comedian later on in life. I'm just comedy i just saw someone the other day i really love so you know just tying those things together it takes a long time to do this thing it takes a long time to build muscle you're not going to get all nice and jacked in six months you can but 
that muscle is not going to be there a year from now. You got to maintain that muscle throughout the whole time and keep building on it to maintain yeah. that, 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 that physique that you want. Yeah. It's just an unfortunate part of, I think just social media and the way all media is now is that you see the end results, right? And, and even if people are posting their, you know, their journey all the way through it, it's like you have 200 followers when you do that. And, and like, you know, no one's going to see it. And then all of a sudden you're like this big, you know, whatever you've done the thing and it could be a fitness and it can be literally any other, you know, business, whatever. And, and then people are like, Oh, well, you got that thing. You have the thing. I want that thing. I want that result. And they didn't realize that for the past, you know, six, seven, eight, ten years, you've been just like grinding day in, day out, and and you don't see any work for it. Like I, I know that you're a big pro wrestling guy. I listened to <laughs> The Rock on The Rock on Rogan's podcast uh, recently, and he was talking about the start and his his story and how he got into wrestling. And like now, you see him. He's like The Rock, right? He's the biggest movie star, maybe maybe ever. And, but it didn't always used to be that way, like wrestling and, you know, for free, getting injured, training, doing nothing, like not having a path in life. Like if we would have known who he was at that time, like, uh, universally, we would think this guy is nothing. He's just a, just a guy, but now yeah, he's a rock. No, we just didn't see it. At he's that the time. rock. You, you needed all his little transformations over his character to understand that's how he got to be the rock. Why we call him the rock. We didn't call him the rock when he first came out. His name was Rocky Maivia. But his character transformation changed from being a good guy to a bad guy because he hated what was going down. He sliced it in half and became that guy. And then he came to Hollywood Rock, and then he became this guy. So it's a transformation working on this craft, working on that craft, working on this character, working on that character to where he wants to be. And he wanted to be an all-time movie star, and and, and that, that he, he grew up that way. He wanted to be known by everybody, and he's probably the most well-known individual on the planet right now. I mean, I don't think anybody's more well-known than him. Yeah, he's definitely definitely in the near the top of that. I don't know how to I don't know how to go yeah. about ranking that, but he's, yeah, exactly, he's yeah. for sure for sure up there. Definitely. I mean, people. It's funny how like when he rolls up on people and they're looking like at the bus and it's like, hey, has anybody seen the Rock? And everybody just goes crazy on the bus. Yeah. Like, whoa, dude, you're yeah. you know you're well known. Yeah, exactly. But it's like that. It's that constant work like throughout his entire career. Which I mean, he's obviously in great shape, but. He didn't just he didn't just get that way yesterday. Like he's been yeah, no. training for years. It, if you yeah, exactly if you watch him when he first started, he was kind of big and 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 bulky, but a little more on the flabby side. And then as he goes, he got really shredded and started getting bigger. And then he started the roles with uh with the Fast and Furious roles that he just got. I mean, he's as big as a freaking refrigerator at that <laughs> point, you know. So it's just it takes a long time to get that big. But if you look at his workouts now. He's maintaining it, whether it's at one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, he's maintaining it because that's what he wants. Those are his goals and what he wants to do. Yeah. And it's, and it's part of his job and, you know, we can get into yeah. like the, the, the dedication and the, let's call it the help that he, that he has with that and, and all that and, and no shade on it. Like if I was in his role, I would be doing the same stuff because it's part of oh, your job and, and, and part of your shtick. Right. So, so give there's me that rolling gym any day. Exactly. Exactly. Give me, give me all of the stuff, right. The, the, the nutrition, the supplements question quote unquote supplements um but anyways it's 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 a dedication to 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 fitness and just to the long game where was your transition then from from football into just just the fitness side of things like getting out of sport and working with regular people and how did that come about Uh, that just started recently with uh because of the pandemic so uh, here you know when the pandemic happened in 2020 everything got shut down and i just started buying equipment because i love working out and i didn't have anything actually i'm in my gym right now my home gym and Phil has a wicked home equipment. gym, by the way. Anyone who's <laughs> anyone who's watching this, you need to go to Phil's Instagram and just like watch his stories and posts and stuff. Like Phil's outdoor home gym is probably one of the best I've ever seen. Oh well, thank you. I really appreciate that, man. That's pretty cool of you to yeah. say, dude. 
um, I, I just started buying a bunch of stuff, getting back to it. Um, and one of my buddies, he's like, why don't you just train me? And I'm like, well, I've trained a lot of people, but one thing that I never did was program. I wasn't good with programming. I didn't know programming. Um, I knew workouts, overhead pressing, squatting, benching, all the, all the fun stuff, but didn't know how to organize it, how to give you a program, that sort of thing. And luckily I came across this group called Show Up Fitness, Chris Hitchko and Show Up Fitness. Um, and sh- what he does is he teaches trainers how to program. He teaches trainers anatomy, social media, all the stuff that you need to be successful. Uh, started chit-chatting with him, started doing his live classes. And what I like about him is he does have live classes uh, pretty much every day of the week. And you can take them, your case examples, and they'll talk about it in class. And this is how I would train and why you would train it that way for whatever specific reasons. And if you need help pro- um, making a program for that person, they'll give you the program and they'll help you how to program it and why they would program that way. On every sense, and for someone that's diabetes, overweight, uh, anybody that wants to be athletic, whatever the case is. And I really, truly fell in love with his system and how he teaches trainers how to train. Hmm. Um, from the anatomy portion, from understanding the rotator cuff to the 17 muscles around the shoulder to the 20 around the hip and all these other things, I just fell in love with that. And I started going to his seminars. And that's where everything just took off from me. I just started, I started going to his seminars, traveling with him. And I'm kind of in the process of almost being an instructor for him online. I go to help instruct in person, but online is where I'm doing, I might even have my own class coming up pretty soon to, to help out with that. Phenomenal. Well, congratulations on that. But I think it's also, oh, thank you, man. Um, I think it's also, I'm happy that you mentioned that because a lot of people think that they know how to work out. They get good results for themselves. They like going to the gym and they're like, well, then I can be a trainer. And like, of course, anyone could be a trainer just the same way anyone could be any job, right? But that doesn't make you, I could just call myself an astronaut tomorrow. It doesn't mean I know anything about being an astronaut, right? right. I'm sure I could learn it, but I don't know it right now. Um, but the programming and the anatomy and some of the underlying science, I guess, if you will, um, is is the gap between how to train yourself and how to train other people. And that's what I see with a lot of like, younger trainers coming up, not that I'm so old, but younger trainers coming up and people, <laughs> people getting, people getting into it is like, yeah, they, they just like to work out themselves. But when you have to apply that thing to, you know, the 37 year old woman who has knee pain and hasn't worked out in 15 years because she had two kids and a job and all this stuff. It's like that thing that you were doing in the gym when you're 18 and have it's just like everything works. It doesn't apply to that person and you can't just, you know, use that bodybuilding workout that you found online with that 37 year old woman because she's not a bodybuilder. Those things don't work for her and you have to figure out how to apply that. And that's really one of the, one of the hardest things and one of the biggest values of, of having a coach and actually hiring a trainer is like all the information is out there, but how do I organize it and actually make it for me? So I'm happy that you, that you said that because it's, it's a really important thing to know for people, anyone who's listening to this, who might be thinking about becoming a trainer, but even anyone thinking about how, well, what do I need a trainer for? It's, it's those little intangible things. You all know the exercises. How do you organize them together to make it make sense for you? That's, that's the hard part. And that's probably one of the biggest values of having a trainer. Absolutely. So the one thing, uh, again, I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes or how you got your certified your certification or whatever, but one of the things Chris with Show Up Fitness is always kind of like picking out why he kind of started this company is uh, people that take their NASM uh, certification and they take their open, their, it's now an open book test, but you take your test and now you're certified to go train people. That is exactly the opposite of how he teaches everybody because how do you know how to train that 37-year-old that has bad knees? 
that NASM book doesn't teach you any of that. It doesn't teach you, uh, it teaches you four actions of what your lats do. And there's actually eight, you know, there's something else that, it, there's other things that they do. So he really gets into those parts of the stuff that you're not learning. You're not learning business skills. You're not learning how to, how to build your audience or what your audience is, how to talk to your niche. It doesn't, he, um, there's a couple like other things. Uh, it, his biggest thing is anatomy. If you know how to program, if you know your anatomy really well, you're going to program pretty well because you know exactly what these muscles are doing and how they're doing it, why they're doing it, stabilizers, everything like that. Yeah. Uh, so he created his own um, CPT, his own certified personal trainer certifi- uh, certification. And he's actually partnered with some of the bigger gyms, Equinox, Lifetime. And next year in 2024, uh, once a month at a Lifetime, he's going to be at giving a seminar to some of their trainers or whoever else. And that's the biggest difference between us and, or us, I say us, Show Up Fitness, uh, and anybody that's done NASM, ACE, uh, ISSA, or any of those other ones, because those are just textbook, he calls them textbook trainers. You're not learning from professionals or going through an internship. And that's what he does. He actually has a in-person internship or the online classes where you're getting instructors to teach you how to program, how to regress, how to progress, and all these other things. He has a class specifically for each one. Anatomy, programming, how to progress, regress, uh, nutrition, um, social media, a couple other things as well. So it, it's a great program all the way around because it te- he gives you just all the fundamentals on how to do it. And it's up to you how to, how to create it. I, I love that. Fitness is, or training rather, is very much an art and a science. You can't just know all the textbooks and what's the origin insertion of this muscle and where does this tendon run to? And like, you need to know those things, but you need to apply them to actual human beings. Like one of the things that I, that I think is an incorrect way of learning fitness, and this goes for potentially new trainers or just people in general working on their own fitness is trying to remember like a Rolodex of exercises. Oh, what chest exercise do I do? Bench press, incline press, machine press, push-ups, you know, whatever. You have to know those things. But what if you hurt your shoulder? Then what do you do? How do you like get around this thing? And the only way to know that is you have to, you have to at least have some understanding of the anatomy of what you're actually doing rather than just memorizing exercises. Because even if an injury is even a bad example because that's maybe a little bit too complex. What if you're using a chest press machine and then the chest press machine is broken at the gym that day? How do you do that? Well, the chest press is not the thing that grows your chest. It's the way that you're pushing and using those actual muscles. So how can you rig up a new exercise to get at the same muscle or that same movement pattern? And so thinking about anatomy and biomechanics a little bit, uh, and those words can seem intimidating, but if you can have a base understanding of what's actually going on there, then you have essentially unlimited exercises, right? Even for you in a home gym and as well equipped as your gym is, you don't have like every single piece of equipment that's available to you. So I'm sure you get pretty creative with some of the setups and some of the, the exercise modification, just like, okay, we've got to get this thing done. We've got to work this muscle. How do we do that? I don't have that machine here. So how do we do that? And the only reason you can do it is because you know, your anatomy, you know, your biomechanics and you can figure it out. You can make any exercise out of anything. Yeah, basically. And that's, again, that's the, one of the biggest things he's big on is knowing your core patterns. Uh, he has a class that he, that, um, he brings on just Equinox trainers that are different Equinoxes around the States and everywhere else. And you know, what happens at an Equinox when everything's busy at five o'clock in the afternoon and people are big there and you need to do that push pattern. Well, I can't do bench press cause it's taken. I can't do, uh, I don't know. I can't do incline cause that's taken. Well, you can do a decline using a glute bridge by still pressing, and now you're still getting a little bit of glute. You're still getting a bit of that. So he'll teach you how to move around the gym, think on the fly, 
and use and use those core patterns to get the results that you want. I think that's phenomenal because you don't want to stay kind of doing the same exercises all the time, even though you are. But there's a way to like spice it up a little bit, but you're still getting the same results and every the same uh, movement patterns that you want. Yeah, you can you can really change the exercise in the eyes of a of a client without actually changing the exercise. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, you're just gonna hold that there, and I'm gonna press this way, and it's different. Yeah. Still doing the chest press. Yes. Exactly. You know? Exactly. But it, but it, but it keeps it, it keeps it fun because that's also, that's part of the art of it, right? We have to get, yeah. but people don't love training the same way you and I love training. And like, we, we get that. Like, I don't need to like feel so fired up to go to the gym. I don't need to like kick myself in the ass to, to get in a workout. And like, that is the part of the day that I look forward to. If anything, I have to put it off so that I like get my, my other stuff done. Uh, Absolutely. right. Because I'd rather just be in the gym all day long. Um, but, but people don't, like that people are not like that obviously so we have to find ways to like make it fun make it exciting and make these little kind of like switches or changes of where you're changing the exercise but not actually changing the effect is huge and even for you like something that i I noticed that you use a lot of is different pieces of equipment that are maybe not as traditional and it's not that different but it's different enough like right behind you you have the safety squat bar i know you're a big fan of the trap bar use the slant boards those kind of things which are like in the training world, like for you and I, those are pretty standard, but a lot of people in regular gyms, like they've never seen a, I mean, a lot of gyms don't even have a safety squat bar, but yeah, exactly. they've made, have never seen the trap bar. Like, Oh, what's that thing for? Why would I use a slant board? And so I think even the way you, you use those things, and I kind of want you to talk about maybe some of the benefits and drawbacks of like something like the safety squat bar, cause I know it's a big one. Um, it, it, it really makes things accessible for a lot of different people where you're getting the same effect and maybe in a more comfortable or fun way for some people. Right. Uh, so I, I, you talk safe, safe uh, squat right now. So we'll talk safety bar. Uh, Dan John's the one that created that. He kind of, uh, he patented the goblet squat. So everyone, I mean, from, for being a meathead, you know, in the early eighties, nineties, we're all doing back squat, back squat, back squat. But you know, I'm doing this. I may not even have shoulder mobility to get to this right here. That's where the safety bar comes in. Cause you can hold it right here, just like a goblet squat. Like you're starting now you can, now you can load it. That's one of the benefits that I like. So the way I teach the progression on squat is, well, we'll figure out if you can, if you can even squat, we'll look at your squat uh, mechanics first. We'll look at how your, your, you function as a squat and we'll find your feet placement. We'll figure out where you're at there. After that, we'll start loading with the goblet squat. Maybe if you can't do a goblet squat, we'll go to a bench or a bar or a box and, and play with your range of motion. They're like my guy. So right now, when we first started squatting, he couldn't go all the way down. He could only go to the, to the, to the bench. Then I moved into a box. Now he's on a slant board, getting a little bit lower in, you know, getting more uh, hip flexion there. So I'm happy about that. Mad progression on that. Uh, so after safety bar squat, I will go to, uh, uh, well, let's see, how do I do it? Sorry. I go goblet squat. I go double double kettlebell. And then I do safety bar. And then I do back bar. That's how, that's my four progression on how I do squat. Other people, sometimes they'll, do, they'll just do a goblet and a back bar. And that's it. I think it's a little harder to do this so I come here and I, and I get people to do get used to doing this first. Of course. No, I, I agree with you. And, and, I'm, and I also understand that like the progressions are not exactly the same every single time, right? That's like the general yeah. progression, but for some people they might skip steps or go in a different direction or, you know, what have you just for anyone who's, who's only listening and doesn't see the video of this and doesn't know what it is. The safety squat bar is the bar that looks like a regular bar, but then it has two handles in the front. So you kind of wrap it like around your neck, the front of your shoulders, and you can hold it slightly in front of you. The The bulk of the bar kind of still sits on your back, but it kind of wraps around uh, your, your shoulders uh, just in case you don't, if people are not familiar with what that, what that bar is, but it's I, a great I, way to get my, around things. 
Yeah, definitely. One of my favorite variations out of it with the safety bar is actually the Hatfield variation. Mm -hmm. Luckily, my rack has pegs on it. So I don't even hold on to it as you, sh you know, when you do the, the half field and you just hold on to the pegs and you can really just load it and go because you have, you're stable now, rather than trying to hold up here and trying to figure out your balance, you're stable, ready to go and just work your pattern and, and just drive your feet and go. It's a very awesome variation if you really want to get into heavy, heavy squatting. Yeah. This is one of the, I think the advantages of just getting used to what all the equipment in the gym does. So if your gym is lucky enough to have a safety squat bar try and use it. Try and figure out how to use it because it might be the thing that's better for you as opposed to a regular bar. And unless you're trying to be a power lifter, you absolutely do not have to back squat or front squat or no. overhead. So you don't ever have to, you don't ever have to use a barbell for anything. While I love a barbell and I will use it a lot with my clients and with myself and, and all that stuff, we don't actually have to do that because it's not part of our sport. So if we, if it doesn't work for some person, they don't have the shoulder mobility, it just doesn't feel comfortable for them. There's a, there's a bit of an injury or a you know, something's not feeling right or the, for whatever reason, the exercise just doesn't look right. We can always just switch things. We don't have to trap our, we don't have to regular deadlift. We can trap our deadlift. We don't have to back squat. We can safety bar squat. We can do all these things, but you need to know the equipment that you have available to you to be able to kind of like shift and make that call to, to just make your workout as effective as possible rather than saying, ah, working out's not for me. And then you just leave the gym for forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, for most people, I mean, if you can just do a goblet squat and a double kettlebell squat, that might be just enough for them right there. Because to holding two kettlebells at, you know, 40 KB, whatever it is, it, it's going to be pretty heavy, pretty challenging. That's 80 pounds right there up and down. That's pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, you, you can definitely get away with, with just doing that, right? And again, it depends on your goals, depending on your, on your, your age and your ability and, and all that stuff. On, on that note, though, you, you said like 40-pound kettlebells, not, not four-pound kettlebells. And while you have a home gym, like it's a gym at your house outside – it's not like it's just, you know, booty bands and body weight workouts. Like you get all your clients lifting heavy and lifting heavy is a relative term, of course, right? Like what might be right. heavy for person A is not heavy for person B, but it's heavy relative to, to themselves. And I think that that's like, it's so valuable in this world of comparison where we're trying to compare like, oh, that guy, that girl lifts so much heavier than me. But really you just have to lift heavier than yourself, but still got to like, still got to lift heavy. You still got to push it like 12 pound dumbbells like maybe great to start but like you're gonna outgrow those pretty quickly pretty pretty quickly i know one thing is like i try to tell my clients as much as possible you're not comparing yourself to anybody else you're competing with your own self you want to be better than you were the day before you know everyone talks about the one percent method get one percent better every day but you're, you're looking at yourself because you want to pay yourself today who you want to be tomorrow mm. so you want you want to look really good right now or tomorrow, look, start working on it right now. And that way you can see the results later. And I'm always talking about lifting heavy. We got to lift heavy. It's going to be good for your bones. It's good for all the things that we all, you know, health-wise that we talk about. But one, it gives them a challenge for themselves. If I did that last time, I feel like the next time I come, I should probably go a little heavier. And that's that's always a challenge for yourself. And everyone, if, if you don't like a challenge for yourself, something kind of wrong with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, 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 you gotta, you gotta find some type of fire because everyone likes challenges. It doesn't matter what it is. You can be a, the best knitter in the world. If you need to challenge yourself to knit five times faster, that's a challenge for yourself that you can build on and you can time yourself on that and get better at it. So don't tell me you don't like a challenge. You just say you do, but everyone likes a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone likes a challenge. And I think even more importantly, maybe to get more nitty gritty on that is people like getting better at stuff. And the gym is so it's, this is going to sound silly, but it's so easy to get better at it. Like you yeah. keep showing up, you keep doing the work. It's so easily measurable. And that's maybe more what I mean. It's not that it's easy to get strong and all that stuff because it's hard work, but it's very, it's very measurable and very easy to determine, oh, I've improved on this since last time. 
right? I added one more rep. I added one more pound. I rested less. I they did it with better quality or like better form. Like there's so many ways to measure progress and you should be making progress every single workout realistically. And, and you can measure it. And that's a really good way to, to see that you're doing better rather for, especially for people who like don't love the gym. And like I, I could go to the gym and work out every single day and never measure anything and still be happy with it. But I realize yeah. that most people are not like that. So you've got to have this like measurable goal. Like, okay, I'm like, I'm lifting heavier. I'm doing better and things are happening. And therefore you seek that progress, right? Because that, that's just the thing that keeps people coming back. Progress over perfection any day of the week, man. Always. Do you still bring a lot of like the football training, like football athlete mentality into the way you train your clients? Not, and by mentality, I don't mean like, you know, we're trying to smash the other team. I mean, just like athletic style training, obviously scaled up or down to the individual. Um, a little bit of yes, a little bit of no. It really depends what it, uh, that individual wants a lot. Of, and people come to me because they really like the mobility stuff that I do. Mm-hmm. How and why and that started because I show up within the show up community, I got really good with the moving my hips and my shoulders. So a lot of people saw that because I was posting a lot of it and that's really what they come to me for. So I do blend a lot of it together. Like a lot of the, the dynamic warmups, I'll use that as, as a filler stuff to get them to do a little hip mobility or a little shoulder mobility, whatever it is. So I, I try to blend a little bit of it. I, my, my big thing was when I first started doing this was I wanted to be the Eric Bischoff of fitness. Like I wanted to blend his style of wrestling with WWE style, like make a big boom over here. So people look, look over there. What's he doing? They go that way. That's kind of what my idea was when I was doing a lot of the mobility stuff. Um, it was kind of becoming really popular within the last couple of years too. the 2020, it just became really popular. It's a big word that people like to use is mobility. It's really nothing. It's just, it, can you, can you control, uh, can you control this joint through the range of motion? That's mobility strength training plus stretching is mobility. That's kind of the, that's really what it is, but people like, how it looks it looks fancy schmancy on instagram i want to do it it's part of my training so we'll add it in there for you realistically you just need a couple of those core patterns that we were talking about and we'll be okay but that filler exercise that i do is the mobility stuff that people like and for me that's why they come to me that's that's the big reason why they like the way i do the 90 90 stuff with holding this leg up in the air or you know doing hip airplanes or figure four contours whatever it is that's the stuff that they like and i'm like all right this is what we're gonna do here you go it's interesting that you mention it like that because I 100% agree with you. Like some of the more popular or common like quote unquote mobility exercises are actually like not that effective. And oftentimes just like, just like strength train, like regular quote unquote regular strength training through a full range of motion is actually just like the best mobility training for people. Honestly, it really is. And and that's when I, I kind of figured that out. I was like, well, maybe it is a little something of mobility stuff that I'm doing right. But then I just, when you go to seminars, you start listening to people that have been doing it forever. And it's just literally that, that, that quote that I got from Tony Genocore, who got from someone else. It's just strength training plus stretching equals mobility. Can you take it through the range of motion that it's capable of doing? That's really all it is. So I've kind of gotten a little away from it in, in, in like my personal training. But people like it, so that I give them, I give them a lot of that. Yeah, there, there's. I don't. I don't mean to say that there's not value in those like regular yeah, or common uh, mobility drills. There's definitely value, even if it's just warming up and whatever. But it also has to be done right. Like doing the thing just because you saw it on Instagram doesn't make it effective. Like you have to do it effectively to make it effective. You know, like better is better, not, not more is not always better, kind of thing. Yeah, so you could take some of it away, and a lot of it will be even better for your body. Like if again taking away mobility if you just breathe it'll give you more mobility anyways so just do that and you'll be fine but they like to do all the stuff and all, all right here you go we'll do it it's fine yeah talk expand on that a little bit 
On which part? The breathing part. Why does breathing give you more mobility? Depending on how your joints are lined up, uh, Luke Worthington talks a lot about this. He's a very famous uh, personal trainer out of the UK. Uh, so this is your scapula. And most people, when they don't breathe really well, they kind of, they're in these different forms. And you want this to be the light and how you can move upward rotation, protraction, retraction, elevation, depression. And this light will give you more. So if you can just breathe and get your, the inside of your, your of your scapula to play with your rib cage and breathe here, breathe into your ribs, breathe into your everywhere, 3D breathing, you'll see yourself have more range of motion because it's playing nicely together with your ribs, with your rib cage. It's just expanding and playing nicely. That's what you want. You want it. To, and if you look at the way a scapula is the bone of it, it's kind of like a, it's kind of curved in where it mm -hmm. plays really well with the rib cage. If you can get that to play well, you'll have some nice shoulder mobility. You don't. If you're not breathing and you're kind of tense, that light goes away. That light beam goes away. And now you're, you're kind of stuck in these different areas and we got to figure out why. So we go back to your assessment and now you can figure out why it's just a little bit, a little bit of breathing, play with your diaphragm, get it to relax, relax your nervous system a little bit, and you'll have more range of motion. Agreed. I think this is actually somewhat of a missed discussion in some of like the breathwork and mobility circles where people are very adamant about diaphragmatic breathing only. And like, that is extremely valuable. I'm not like right. shitting on that. Of course, of course it's good. But your rib cage also moves. It's not like a static, you know, statue structure. Like there is movement between each of the ribs and that expansion is also part of one's ability to breathe. So yes, you want to belly breathe and fill up your belly and push the diaphragm and use that. But then you also want to fill up into your chest and lungs and everything because of that interplay with your scapula, which like you said, it sits like a cup right on the edge of your on the backside of your rib cage and if that thing is not moving and it's just stuck well now you're making multiple structures become one structure and that, and this just doesn't move very well and it's not very nice yeah, and you wonder why you have no shoulder mobility but it's like can you can you even take a full breath in that's probably gonna help you a lot <laughs> yeah, exactly absolutely when i went to tony general cords and luke worthington seminar right after the pandemic finished that was one of the biggest things that i learned that people tend to breathe up into uh, kind of like their scalings right like in this area that translates into kind of going into your temples, headaches, anxiety. Mm -hmm. But if you just relax, breathe, relax, get full expansion, a lot of that will go away. One, It'll go away if you just – and one of the ways that we talk about breathing is getting the full exhale out where people think of breathing – and it might sound a little funny, but people think of breathing as <sighs> – that's not a full breath out when you're breathing out and you want full exhale. It's literally, you're almost turning red in the face where when I tell people to do it here at the wall, I want them to blow the wall down, blow my wall down, knock it over, give it to, and it becomes a little violent where, and you have so much air in your stomach or in your diaphragm, you need to get that out. And that's where the coaching comes in. Because if you think you're at that end of that exhale, I can still talk. You shouldn't be able to talk when you're fully exhaling right. now. So it's, it, it's, it really helps out a lot. Yeah. It's so interesting that people don't really think about breathing as like a, a mechanical thing or any skill involved in breathing. And skill is maybe not the right word here, but but there there is like, you can learn how to breathe better. There is like a yes. very heavy mechanical aspect of breathing and most people actually don't know how to do it and that may sound a little bit ridiculous to some people but it's like you take someone through like a very simple box breathing exercise which is like super intro right In inhale for four hold for four exhale for four hold for four like 
Very simple. And people are like, oh, I can't, can't like coordinate. I can't figure this out. I feel weird. I have all these sensations in my body. And it's like, whoa, hold on. I, this is just like basic, like level 0.1 breathing. And it's not anyone's fault. Like if you just haven't taken that conscious breath and, and really thought about the mechanics of your breathing ever before, how would you ever know? And so for a lot of people, like honestly, learning how to breathe is probably step one of their fitness. I, I couldn't agree more. Like when you, I, I guess when again, learning from Tony and from Luke, the dead bug, everyone kind of thinks it's like a, it's an ab workout. It's all this and that. And yes, it's a little hip flexors in this, but I mean, it, that's the number one reason why they taught me to do it is because of your alignment. It's going to align your scapula, align your hips. If, even if you do say like a side plank and you breathe, you'll have more hip mobility off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you just breathe regularly, you'll have more hip mobility. If you just breathe normal up on top, you'll have more shoulder mobility. So they taught us how to use the dead bug as like your warm up to get everything moving, to get everything aligned. Your ABCs, your, your alignment, your breathing, and your control. Can you are you, are you aligned correctly throughout throughout your your entire system? And now let's breathe correctly. Let's do the three D breathing. And now can you control the position that you're in within your breathing? Yeah. You know whether you're squatting, deadlifting, whatever it is. There's a reason why in things like yoga, breathing is such a huge part of it. And the instructor will tell you when to breathe in, when to breathe out in accordance with the movements. Breathing is a big part of sport like tennis. When they're hitting the ball, they're breathing out or boxing or fighting where they're breathing out when they're punching and the like that noise. I know that's really annoying in the microphone. So I apologize to everyone listening, but, but it's like that breathing noise. Like they're, they're not making that noise because it sounds cool. They're making that noise because they're breathing as a part of a function of what they're doing. And so when you can understand that and scale it back, of course, you're not a fighter or a pro tennis player or a, you know, a yogi sitting on top of a mountain, but you're a human being who needs to do things. And so if you can't understand how to breathe, maybe that's a place to start. The challenge and what we kind of referenced before is like, for most people, this is going way over their heads and incredibly boring to sit there and, yeah. and like learn how to breathe. So we've got to like use things like dead bugs and squats and like find actual exercises that are more normal as like a proxy to teach people how to breathe. And it's like, oh, when you learn how to breathe in that deadlift, now all of a sudden you can deadlift more and then it clicks rather than like, oh, let's just sit on the floor and breathe for an hour. Yeah. And, and literally going back to football, that's why I like working out so much because you, with football, you take those progressions too. And it just translates to this too. You're going to take these progressions over and it's going to translate into better breathing. We're going to use the band work. We're going to protract. We're going to push away. We're going to breathe. Now, guess what? We're going to breathe normally now and how much more relaxed you're going to feel. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's actually huge. And I think we, we can really just kind of keep talking about that for a really long time. But again, it's hard to, I think, understand this just through like audio. I think you got to really have someone take you through it and have someone coach you through it because we can try and be general about it, but like you have to feel this to sort of understand what it's, what it's like. Yeah. It's definitely a big time coaching intensive thing. You need to be really on point when you're teaching this. So they understand what you're feeling a little bit of like lightheadedness. A lot of it is like, uh, I learned from Eric Cressy, like when you're doing the breathing exercise, you can put your hands like on the back of their scapula and, or on the inferior border. And let's get a little technical here and help them breathe while getting their, their, that scap to wrap around the rib cage. And they feel it in their armpit as they should. And that again, coaching intensive, if you don't know where to put your hands or what you're looking for, you're going to fuck something up and you're going to be a little off somewhere, you know, but if you find out where and knowing your anatomy, you'll be able to learn these things really well to help your clients out. And once they're, again, once they're able to breathe, they, it's, it's more of a benefit to them than actually lifting heavy. 
because they're they're more relaxed and it's something that they don't get unless they do like a lot of yoga and those types of things like you were mentioning earlier. And it translates over so easily. Like I've had clients who like, did they just figure out the breathing pattern in something like something more simple, maybe like a rack pull. And all of a sudden they can lift like 50, 75, hundred more pounds just because they figured out how to like control their breath and brace properly and expand and contract and whatever correctly. And it's like, Oh, now we have all this extra strength. Like nothing happened in their glutes and hamstrings. Like it was, they did it yesterday. All of a sudden today they're lifting a hundred more pounds. Like why? Cause they figured out how to breathe. They figured how to breathe or, or how to maintain stiffness. And that's another big one. And again, there's breathing and then there's learning how to maintain stiffness, mm. which are almost, they're pretty much two separate things, but you need to breathe in, keep it tight and, you know, do all the things that you need to do and then, and go through that motion, whatever you're talking about. But two separate things where you have to teach them how to breathe and then you have to teach them how to brace. And pretty tough. You, you got to understand coaching and on, on how to do that. Yeah, it's interesting the way you say that because it, it actually made me think of so much of actually lifting and progressing and lifting is learning how to actually not move. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah. how do I move just the thing that I want to move and nothing else? Like, I'm sure you see this with clients. It's one of like, I find it funny and it's like a pet peeve of people who who are, should be better at training than they are. But like the happy dance feet with when people are bench pressing and it's like, why are you oh, tapping yes. your feet so much and moving your legs all around? If you just squeeze your butt, dig your feet into the floor, like you're going to be stronger on the bench press, but you're like oh, having absolutely. this huge energy leak through your body. It's like, if you just get better at not moving, you'll actually be better at lifting. <laughs> I giggle at that too. Uh, I was really big on that. Like when you're squatting, you do a little happy dance when you're squatting too, you move your feet around or, or the other one is like, you're kind of like shaking the weight and everything. Well, you're leaking energy when you're doing that. Yeah. Like you're going to be tired when you're doing that. So stop doing that. Just take, get in, take your steps back and go. So I, I, you, you mentioned earlier about learning how to maintain your breath work. And that's, I trained my mom back here and my mom's 65 and I have her deadlifting back here. And once she figured out the breathing, her deadlift went up from, I think like 115 when I was kind of first started out to where she's at right now, 155, which is pretty good. You know, 65 year old doing 165 is pretty good. I'm really happy about that. But because she does yoga, she understood a little bit easier and it didn't take me as long to help her with her breathing because she understood how to do that and maintain bracing and positioning. So that's super impressive. I, I add all of that, all you yogis out there who are listening, please continue doing so, but just go lift a little heavy weights, please. Yeah. <laughs> add, that, add that in, add that in. Despite what you may think and what the instructor may say and how the class may be marketed, yoga, Pilates, these type of things are actually not strength training. I, I'm yeah. sorry to burst the bubble. This is just the way it is. We don't make the rules. Yeah. <laughs> That's just yeah, how it is. Definitely. It doesn't mean that it's not good. It's phenomenal. It's just good for what it's good for and not good for what it's not good for, which is strength training and building muscle. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There's uh, The principles of, of hypertrophy aren't there and you know everything that you're looking for is just not there there are great places to, to go to, to, to get what you're looking for. Maybe it's a community that you want to be a part of. Maybe it's a certain movement that you like because it's helping, but you're not strength training and you're actually not strengthening what you're looking for. You need to be under time, under tension. You need to be lifting weights to do all those types of things. So yeah, yeah please just add strength training, but continue doing that. And I guarantee you'll feel a lot better than what you're doing right now. I think one way to kind of explain this and, and it will sound biased because it's a story about myself and people be like, oh, well, you're like a fitness guy, so it doesn't count. But anyways, ignore that part of it, if you will, get that out of your head. But I'd obviously been training for a long time and I had gone to a yoga class at one point. This is a few years ago for the first time ever. And I'd never been to a yoga class, but obviously I've been training, have pretty good control over my body, pretty, you know, decently strong, all that stuff. And like, she was asking me to do all this stuff. She kept using like the, the correct, like 
names of the yoga poses like the oh, okay, okay. I, don't, I don't even what whatever language it is sanskrit i think the sanskrit names and she's like saying to do this with me and i'm like i have no idea what you're talking about i don't know what you're talking about and she's asking me to do a handstand and getting me to do all these things she's like how long have you been doing yoga for i'm like this is literally my first class ever she's like, but how are you so like how are you so good at this and i said one i didn't know that you could be good at yoga i thought you just you did or you didn't i didn't think it was like a competition <laughs> but two the the realistic answer is because I had good control of my body. I was pretty strong. I was pretty mobile and I could contort myself into whatever positions like she was asking me to do. The The reason that I say this is because the opposite is not true. I've trained tons of people who come to me and Phil, I'm sure you have as well. They're like, yeah, like I'm pretty fit. Like I do yoga all the time. It's like, okay, great. I'm sure you're healthy, but like, let's get you in a squat. Let's get you in a bench press. And they can't figure out how to do it. It doesn't translate upwards but it does the strength training does translate to being better at yoga because you actually get control over your body and understand how to move but there's a there's a hard stop limit to the strength that you can build in yoga and you can have control over your body but you don't have control over external objects yeah and that's the whole the whole thing about lifting is maintaining that gravity force pull wherever it's coming from make sure you can maintain it and that's translating over to yoga when you don't have anything that's why you're able to maintain that position because you're already strong in whatever opposed position you're in. You're able to control that. Yeah. And, yeah. and there's again, there's nothing wrong with yoga. I I, I love watching people uh, tell me about. I love watching people do yoga, but like watching people <laughs> tell me about it and they and they light up about it because they love yoga so much because it really helps them mentally. And the way I've always kind of thought about yoga is to me like glorified stretching. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I look at it. Like when you're holding a position, you're, well, fuck, that should, should be turned on. Your oblique should be firing up and your glute, you know, whatever position you're in. That's how I've looked at it. Like, well, if you can just, again, add them together, you're going to be spot on fine. You're going to be dropping it like it's hot on a squat, lifting a shit ton of weight, and then maintaining that position, sweating in hot yoga better than anybody else. Exactly. I think, it, the it's not, thing- again, it's not to sound biased or anything like that, but if you just do those two things, you're going to look for every, you're going to find everything that you're looking for. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard not to think that you and I are biased because this is what we do, but also we're just like, we're just right. This is how it, these are the rules. <laughs> like we don't, we don't invent physiology. Like a, a yogi is not going to be super strong at ex- controlling external forces. They're going to be great at controlling their body. Maybe if they do it right. But also yoga is more of like a spiritual and like mental psychological practice the movements just facilitates that in the in the truest sense of yoga and i've talked to some like pretty people who are pretty deep into yoga and that's what it is it's not about the workout it's not about trying to get jacked or trying to lose weight or trying to even get flexible the the movement just facilitates the mental practice of it or the spiritual practice of it and that's how it kind of i think it should stay and that's and that's it's that's its place and it's a phenomenal place it's just like let's just try not to pretend to be things that we're not right right yeah so I, I think, yeah, you know, we, we, we probably beat, beat that horse a little bit too much now when we don't need to yeah, like right. keep, keep shitting on yoga. That was not the intention of, of this. It's again, no, definitely we've said not. it too many times. Definitely not. It's really good. It's just, it, um, it is what it is. Well, one thing that I, that I wanted to, another tool that I kind of wanted to get your, your thoughts on and just for you to expand on before you start to wrap it up here a little bit on a thing that you use commonly that has become more common in, in the Instagram world at least is um is just the slant board and like the heel elevation and stuff. So can you talk about how you use that and like why you use that? And you, you mentioned it earlier, but talk a little bit about the slant board and like its its uses and stuff like that. And I just lost a little bit of sound here, so let me apologize on that first off really quick. Um, the- okay. No, you sound good. Oh, I can still cool, hear cool. you. Um, I use the slant board just to help people get into 
uh, deeper hip flexion. A big thing is knees over toes and this and that, that he was the guy, but it essentially it just gets you into a better squat position. Some people need that heel elevation to get their te- their knees over because they, they just they just don't have that mo- that mobility. There's that word again. They don't have the strength in their four quad muscles to do all that. So we elevate them a little bit to help them get into that. And eventually, I work on their dorsiflexion on their ankle mobility. So we'll first we'll check that. But eventually, they're they're going to get strong enough to get into a deep hip flexion without that. We'll strengthen their ankle and then we'll take a look at their squat pattern. But essentially, it's just to get them to get into a better squat position, whatever they're doing, if, they, if it's a reverse lunge or however, whatever I'm looking at is where their ankle's at and getting their knee over that, over that toe. Yeah, I, I use it very much in the same way. It's not like a forever solution. It's just like, hey, in, until we can actually get this ankle moving properly, quote unquote, or more fully, maybe is a better word, let's use this, take the ankle kind of out of it, and then it's going to get your hips moving properly so you can change the effectively like the length of your tibia so you can get into a deeper squat your hips can feel that your knees can feel that and then we can work on the ankle piece until it until it kind of catches up and you can kind of move fully but it's a great way to kind of train the mobility of that thing when you don't actually have the mobility of absolutely it i i want to I, I like doing like uh when i warm people up is doing ankle mobility i always add ankle mobility some way somehow people don't think that it actually helps you squat getting deeper but it really really does your, your ankles yep. and your adductors, you need to warm those areas up so they can get in proper function. And you, you'll feel the difference when you warm them up. Whether you use a band on it, use a kettlebell to, to, to go over your toes, whatever it is, warm your ankles up. And you'll even, even further than that, warm your big toe up and you'll feel a big difference when you're squatting and when you're deadlifting if you do even do that. Phil, do you mean to say that people shouldn't skip their warm-ups in the workouts? Is that what you're yeah, getting I am, at? I am. If you are coming in just to lift, we're going to stop and we're going to say, let's go warm up. we got to warm up. we got to prep the system some way, somewhere or another. You gotta, that nervous system needs to know we're doing something. Yeah, it's, it's so underrated how much better your workout will be with just even a bad warm up. Yeah. Honestly, just like a, a three minute, like quote unquote, bad warm up will make your workout exponentially better than if you just get in there and lift. Like there's a guy at my gym who comes in, I see him very often and works out and uh, he'll come in and he'll just max out like whatever lift he's doing that day. He goes to failure on his very first set of the day. And that's like his working weight. Like if he's benching you know, whatever, let's say a hundred pounds. I don't know, whatever it is. He'll just like throw a hundred pounds on the bar or the 50 dumbbells or whatever, bench it until he can't go anymore. And like, that's it. He just starts his workout. And I'm like, man, this guy, one, I don't actually don't have no idea how he's been injured. And I think he has been injured because I hasn't seen him training legs in a long time. But two, it's like, dude, you're not making any progress. You're asking for, you'd be just performing so much better if you just took five minutes just to like warm up a little bit. It doesn't have to add so much time to your workout, but it's going to add so much more effectiveness to your Absolutely. workout. Uh, there's a, I don't know if you heard of Dr. Andy Galpin. I'm sure you have. He's kind of, of course, his famous podcast that, or episodes that he did with uh, Dr. Huberman there. He talks about the five kind of like, I, I call them like the order of operations within working out the mechanical skill, speed, power, strength, hypertrophy, follow those and you'll be a okay. Most people tend to forget like these first three and they just want to go to hypertrophy and strength. But if you work in a little bit of power, a little bit of speed, and then your mechanical skill, like that's sometimes even just practicing with just the bar, that's mechanical skill. And then start going faster, that's speed and powerful with force. You'll notice a big difference because now you're training across that whole spectrum that he's talking about. 
So I use that in, in, in the order of operations when I'm working out. We'll, we'll start with speed or mechanical skill. We'll work on power, strength, and the hypertrophy after that. And you get a little bit of everything when you're working out with me. Exactly. And, and this is the thing that comes back to something we talked about in the beginning is just like actually investing in yourself. You and I both went to that event and we've hired, you know, numerous coaches and mentors and teachers and stuff over, over our careers to learn these things. So we're talking about some stuff that I think is actually like pretty high level for, for the average person listening. And so even talking about those, like those five pillars, like for someone to be able to design their own training program, not having you know, any background knowledge, like including all those things, it's, it's very simple for us. It's very difficult for like a regular person. And so like, if you want results, like Again, we're biased because this is our job, but like making a small investment is actually going to get a good return on your effort rather than you going in the gym, spinning your tires for years and years and not getting any results versus a relatively small investment of someone who knows what they're doing, put it all together for you. You just got to go in and execute. Execute. Uh, what uh, Tim Grover, one of my, he was the coach for Kobe, for Jordan and for D Wade. He talks about putting a routine in place, routine, put that routine in place. You have nothing to think about. Having a program is your routine. That's what you're working on. You have nothing to think about going to the gym. You, this is what you have to perform. Go do it. Exactly. It's the easiest way to, to get things done. And then you just, again, best return on your effort. You're going to actually get the results that uh, that you're looking for. The results are, that's our that's our business. Is re- we're a results-based driven business. And you want results? Do these things. You'll get your results. That's it. That's it. Phil, I think we've given people... <laughs> A lot of things to think about in this conversation. We we actually covered way way more than I thought I, we were going to get into was, today. This was great, man. I had no idea we were going to get into this, or I was going to be talking as much as I as uh, as I did, man. This was awesome, man. I, I'm grateful to know you, to meet you and again. We met in in Andrew Coates's uh, Zoom class or thing that he had, and we met yep. in person. And, and I share your work a lot, dude. I love a lot of your a lot of stuff that you write, man. And your podcast is awesome. I really enjoyed it. Uh, 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 Chris's uh, uh, episode the other day because we heard that in person and that was a wonderful story. I tell everyone to go listen to that one. If you're going to listen to your podcast, you're listening to that episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mark, 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 sorry, Mark, Mark, yeah, Mark. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're, you're. Thank you very much for for saying that. I appreciate you, man, and I, and I love everything that you're doing, and I love seeing all your content and all your posts and all the things that are coming up for you. So I'm happy that we we actually got to do this and uh, and you know get to share it with the people. And I'm sure people will have some questions because again, we we talk about some stuff that's a little bit higher level, but I think we did a really good job of kind of breaking it down. Where can people find you? Rattle off your contact info. I'll, I'll point them to you and I'll put it in the show notes. Sure. Um, on Instagram, I'm very big on Instagram. Uh, usually, I respond really quickly on that. Um, Philly, P H I L L. Uh, underscore two four three four, you'll find me there. It's a picture of myself in this little blue sweater that Andy Morgan made me do at the event over there. <laughs> Shout out to him on that. Um, that's usually where you can find me. You can email me dominguez.phil at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Trainerize. It's on my uh, uh, Instagram uh, handle there. So any usually Instagram is the biggest thing where you can find me. Send me a message. I'll respond to you either voicemail or video. However it is, and I'm just trying to build build the relationships and networks just like I've done with yourself. Man. Awesome. Thanks, man. Definitely give Phil a follow on Instagram. Personal trainer, NFL team owner as well. Go Pack Go. <laughs> Phil, is there any last message you want to leave the people with here? No, just the, my, one of my biggest messages in life is have a great attitude and have a great effort. If you put both of those two together, you're going to have something really well, well done in life. So have a great attitude and great effort in everything you do and, and you know, just have a great day after this. Beautiful. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. Phil Dominguez, everybody. Make sure you give him a follow. Uh, share the podcast with someone who's going to benefit from hearing this. Listen back to it. Take your notes with it as well. Um, like, share, subscribe, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, that's it. Appreciate you all. Go outside. Be a good person. See you next time.